If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome back to the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where I talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, just not sports. Hello, friends. <laughs> as as they say in Augusta, I am your host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago, and welcome back to yet another season. Happy to be back for a second go-round, because last season, last fall, uh, had a lot of fun with it, man. Uh, Rick Pitino, Eddie George, Sean Fennessy, Natalie Coughlin, Becky Sauerbrunn, Michelle Carter, Baron Davis, Jane McManus. It was a lot of fun. And then, you know, holidays came, Super Bowl came, travel came, took a couple weeks off, and now excited to be back with a whole new fleet of shows. Uh, guess who are athletes, guess who are media. It's going to be a fun season, so trust me on that. All right, kicking off the season, my guest today, Trevor Price. You may remember Trevor from his longtime career in the NFL, two-time Super Bowl champion with the Broncos, then went on to the Baltimore Ravens and closed his career with some of those uh, good Jets teams back when the Jets had good teams (laughs) in the uh, early 2010s. Trevor is a guy who has completely redefined himself post-football, specifically through his creativity. If you don't know the story of the frogs of Kulapari, the army of poisonous frogs, then buckle up because it is a good one. After his career was over, Trevor sold a series of books that later became a Netflix series, which later became another Netflix series, all based around the Kulapari. This is a a fantasy realm, an awesome, expansive universe where frogs and scorpions do battle. There's martial arts. There's Mark Hamill. Yes, Mark Hamill voicing uh, characters, many other names you would know in the cast of this thing. And I've always kind of seen this and wanted to break it down. And and Trevor, you know, he was pretty candid. He doesn't do these all, these interviews all the time, but uh, he got on the phone and gave me a bunch of time just to sort of talk about how did he get into it? When did he start formulating this story? Uh, how did he put pen to paper? How did he take that leap into production? How did he wind up working with Netflix? And where does he go from here? You know, as he says, he's just laid down the sandbox and now he has all the runway in the world to go explore all the way to the edges of it. It was an age of war. The frog tribes were driven back into the Amphibolands by the crushing attacks of the scorpions. The veil still protects us, for now. Nobody's born a hero, little warrior, but you can do anything if you try hard enough. It's time for battle, not banter. We don't need warriors, Daryl. The veil keeps us safe. The Kulapari died to keep us safe. I thought it was super fascinating. I think Trevor's a a really interesting guy. Obviously a great player during his NFL career, but it's so fun to see him, you know, taking that leap, taking a big chance creatively and doing something that just, you know, the sky's the limit on how far, you know, he can explore this realm. So 
I think you're going to have a lot of fun with it. All right, just FYI, caught Trevor on a cell phone. His connection got a little weird at certain points, but we did everything we could with it. I think it sounds pretty solid and not too far off from what you get from this show every week. So time to jump in. Time to talk Kulapari. Time to talk poisonous scorpions. <laughs> we'll hear it from Trevor and stick around when we get back. I will return to distract you. I did read a great quote from you where you were talking about retirement. And I think your exact line was, you know, you, you know, you could sit around and watch Judge Judy all day or you could explore your creative side in totally different ways. And when did that kind of itch and the desire to do more, to, to break out of uh, what people knew you for, when did that sort of become real and feel attainable for you? Oh, that's that's a different way of doing saying it. When when. When did I develop it? It was as a child. Yeah. Um, like every other uh, black kid in middle America, I want to be a rapper. <laughs> 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 so I grew up in Orlando, Florida, in the suburbs. I didn't grow up in Chicago, in the hood, or not like that. I grew up in the suburbs, went to basically an all-white high school. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to be an MC like everybody else. What I quickly realized is my musical talent really wasn't being MC. It was making music. It was making beats. I learned how to play guitar when I was a kid. I tried to play as much instruments as my parents would buy me, and all they would buy me was a guitar. So I kind of learned how to play fiddle around a guitar a little bit, but I knew I wanted to make music in some respect. So um, it became in trying to trying to make trying to make hip hop make hip hop music or produce become a producer. but that takes gear and equipment and studio time and things I couldn't afford, but more or less, and also things I didn't have really time for because of football and whatnot yeah. mm-hmm. and kind of just being a kid, you know, now, so that always stuck with me. And at university of Michigan, there was a recording studio that I used to go to and plop down beats and stay up there all night. And I was trying to, you know, get my creative thing out of me because I loved making music. You know, I just love making beats and all that type of stuff. And, weird jazzy kind of thing some of it <laughs> sound like so some of it sound like heavy metal some of it sound like miles davis whatever right yeah. um but then um when it became attainable was when i got drafted because after i got drafted my agent kept giving me money so i started buying equipment <laughs> i started buy, i started buying music equipment so i bought drum machines and all this. And then when I got my first, like when I, my rookie contract, when I, they started paying me every week, I was at guitar center every off day, just buying up stuff and like making this shit up as I go along, which was, which was big fun. You know what I mean? So anyway, yeah, that's when it, that, that's when, that's how it started. And it, it becomes attainable when you can afford it to be quite honest, or you are just so, or you are so driven by it and have nothing else to do. If you're driven by it and have nothing else to do and it's the only thing in your life, it's also attainable that way, but you have to be in the right place. You kind of have to find your way around the right people. But other than that, um, it's just money. <laughs> well, the whole world around um, you know, Kulapari is, is fascinating to me. And I'm always fascinated by people who go into the fantasy realm and, and, and engage in this like massive world building because – 
on the one hand, yes, it's free. It's it's very freeing. You can do whatever you want. You can make up the rules, but you still have to bring order and reality into that world and have a, a very defined vision so that the audience can can understand where you're taking them. How, like you said, the the ideas started to flow potentially even when you were a kid. How did you sort of harness all of these ideas and really start to build out this 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 whole universe? Um, it it, it happens with time so when you're not rushing it it it, it kind of happens and what and what the kernel of an idea grows corn right <laughs> um so that kernel I, I like i remember for instance it because the party had a different name when i first created it, it was just called poison hmm. and what i would do is i go to these meetings with executives and whatnot and I'd say I'm working on this thing called Poison. It's about frogs and scorpions. And here's kind of like, you know, the, the narrative is supposed to be a movie. And I remember one lady was like, it needs a better name. You need like a big <laughs> epic name. And I was like, okay, I do. So so somehow I got the idea of trying to figure out how to say poison in Aboriginal languages because all the characters had Aboriginal names. So I was like, well, so I, I emailed, i never forget, I emailed a, a professor of Aboriginal studies at University of Toronto. And he gave me 12 different ways to say it. So Kulapari was one of them. And I'm not quite sure I'm saying it right. It doesn't matter. That's, why, <laughs> that's what it looked like to me. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what it, that's what it looked like to me. So, so you know, and then once you do that, once you, find, once you figure out you had, once that happened, once it got a name, and I was like, okay, there's poisonous frogs and scorpions and lizards and spiders and poisonous creatures in the outback and it's called Kulapari. The rest is the rest is just details. You know what I mean? Those two things were life. The rest of it just kind of it kind of it kind of wrote itself, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. It, it, like it, it took it took nothing. But 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 that those and it was mostly happy accidents, right? Because I could have called it one of the characters' names. The problem with that is you can't expand that universe without the character. Right. Right. So for instance, um, when I was writing the books for Abrams, I was intent on killing off my main character, Daryl. The main star of it, I said, he dies. And my editor was like, you're not doing that. Like, do whatever the hell I, I said, I could do whatever the hell I want. She said, well, you're not doing that. And she had to convince me to keep him alive. And I had to be convinced again when we were making season one. I was going to kill, like, he was supposed to die several times. And they were like, kill somebody else. Do not kill your main character. <laughs> and I was like, okay, whatever. You know, so anyway, um, so that's, that's kind of how it happens. It's a, it's a bunch of accidents and those accidents um, rear their heads very quickly. And those accidents start to write themselves. And what's happening now is the Kulapari sandbox is such a big sandbox, but instead of having a white sand, it, the sand is blue. It's very different, and I'm letting other people play in it. So there's certain rules, but I, with the stuff I get back from people that I let play in the sandbox, it's just incredible. Like, and, and I just go, well, yeah, it's their brains reacting to what I created. You know what I mean? It's a freeing kind of thing. It's like, you know, if, if, if Lucas says, hey, you can make up your own corner of the Star Wars universe, like, what are you going to come up with? God knows. You know what I mean? So that's, that's the way it works. Yeah, you mentioned Lucas. You know, there's a famous story about when he first screened like test footage to uh, 
to his you know his director friends in Hollywood and and they all start ripping him like what is this? Some people can understand what you're trying to build with fantasy. They can picture it. They see where you're going. Others just cannot follow. So do you? What was the reaction like when you first started to sort of tell people, hey, this is what I'm working on? Did did you get people who were like that sounds great and other people that were like are you crazy? Like what what are you doing with these with these frogs? No. Nobody said, "Are you crazy?" Okay, that's good. No, no, that that never happened. I have never pitched it to anybody and showed the work, even when it was just started, um, and they didn't react to it in a positive way. Now, did they want to stake their lives on it, their livelihood, and say, "Yeah, I'll bring this in and buy it"? Um, two people did. Um, Cartoon Network owned Kalapari for about three years, um, and we developed a TV show around it. But they wanted to make it a comedy, and I said, "I have no problem making a Kalapari comedy, but it can't be a Kalapari comedy first. It has to be action, and then we can make it a comedy." And they didn't believe that, so we parted ways. Um, the the book edit publisher um, Susan Van Meter, she, I'm not sure if she read the story. I think she saw the art. And was like, yeah, we're, we're, we'll do something with this. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it, it looked, it had a very uh, distinct look and a very distinct feel as a story and whatnot. So um, some people did. Nobody's ever told me, hey, what the hell is this? Everybody gets it to the point they're like, hey, look, you've taken this way too far, then we can. So yeah, you're, you're way too far ahead of us. We can't help you. That happens a lot. Yeah. That happens a, that happens a whole lot. <laughs> writing the book, you said it wrote itself, but I'm, I'm just curious what your writing process is like and, and how you sort of, um, you know, how, how did you make this so effortless in terms of uh, getting your ideas onto the page? Um, the, the same way, um, what's his name? Judd Apatow writes. You write in emails to yourself. Mm. So you're not writing, you're not writing prose as much as you're writing ideas like as they as they randomly pop up in your head you know this would be cool and you don't and you don't you don't i didn't worry about the the function of the ideas is this, this is a good idea this character should say this and this and then and then it's it's making a puzzle and building it at the same time which is inter- which is weird you know what i mean like i don't know what the puzzle i know what the puzzle look like when it's finished but here's some random pieces i'm making and i'm going to put them together so it was kind of um, happenstance and and good writing to me is 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 the idea good? Let's start there. And and my my goal in almost everything with Kilopari is to do something that that the reader does not expect, or the or the watcher, or the listener, or someone like this is not what you thought was going to happen. You know, what I mean, when I turned in the last book, um, the my book company, my, my publisher hated it. They said you can't do this, and, I, and I, I said, "I said you can publish this, or you can publish nothing." Because I'm not changing it, and they learned to love it. You know what I mean? So uh, I just have an idea. I just, you know, I, I'm not gonna let no 12 year old kind of put down my story. And say, yeah, I know what's gonna happen. With this. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So that, so that's really my only goal in life is to is to make you keep turning the page. For some reason, if the next piece of art. Or see what the characters are gonna say, or see what they're gonna do, or what the motivations are, and and the the tagline for Killer Party. So for for instance, one day I just went pick your poison, right, and then hmm. and that stuck with me, right. And the idea behind that is there are no good guys and bad guys in Killer Party. There's whatever side you pick, right. And so so the characters have to change motivations, have to change sides. Things have to be weird in that kind of way 
you know what I'm saying, pick your poison and it's okay to pick the bad guys or it's okay to pick the all-female ones or it's okay to pick the guy that's not poisonous or it's okay, you know what I mean? Um, so that's kind of how it, that's, that's my writing process is what are those shocking moments or things that you can do and then you write around them. The other thing is I never look at blank paper. I don't stare at blank paper waiting for words to kind of appear. If it's blank paper, I just start typing random letters. You know what I mean? And I'm always better when I work with words that are already there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's kind of it's the way I made music. That's why I love sampling because when you sample something, you have a you have something you have a start, and you can build and build and build on top of the start. You know what I mean? So the most important thing to me is always get started. So I write I write a lot of treatments, and the treatments are basically stream of conscience. You know, and they almost like movie scripts. They they feel and. It's like I'm describing a movie as I'm writing it. I'm watching a movie, whatever the movie in my brain is playing, my hands just write it down. Whatever exactly, exactly what my eyes see, my hands write. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I did read a quote where you, when you first started to think about, you know, shifting this into broadcast, that uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that that you were saying you you just you would just look up like the most important people at studios and just just cold call them. <laughs> and I, and I, and I find yeah, that I can do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, how fearless do you have to be in Hollywood to be selling your vision, selling your work in a town where everybody is doing the same thing? You, you, you kind of have to be because at the end of the day, man, what's, what people don't realize when you're looking at, they are people, right? And the guy that, that runs, you know, Sony Pictures, he just happens to have that job. He was not bored. He's not, he was not hatched. Into the, into the person that runs Sony Pictures, <laughs> right? right? He, ha- he happened to be standing there when he needed somebody to be the boss. It doesn't mean he's the best at it. It just means he's the only one there. Do you think, do you think Sony interviewed every person in the world to pick the best one? The answer is no. Their answer is no. So that's a, that's a person, you know what I mean? So you have to be fearless, but not even fearless. You have to be confident in what you're selling because I can tell you right now, as a professional athlete, and I knew this when I got drafted, for some reason, I just instinctively knew everybody would pick up the phone. They'll pick up the phone, but instinctively, instinctively, I also knew if is after they pick up the phone once, they won't pick it up twice. So when they pick it up once, you better have something intelligent to say. You better have something they want to hear. You better have something that is uh, worth talking about. And I believe that for almost everybody. I believe you will get if you try. I mean, I, I've emailed. I've called, emailed and called. You know, I had an agent for a long time, and I, he just wasn't working fast enough. So I've emailed and called multitudes of people that have not gotten back to me. Now, come on, six months from now, they're going to wish they had, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's kind of like, that's okay. No big deal. The ones that did get back, you know, I've started a relationship with, and I've sold things, and, you know, and, you know, I live in Maryland, and I work in Hollywood, which kind of doesn't work. But if, you're very, <laughs> if, if you're very good at it, it does. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, I would, my suggestion would be if you want to get in that job, that business, get to Hollywood or New York and start surrounding yourself because at some point you will find yourself standing in front of the president of Warner Brothers. You will. The, the, the odds are you will. Well, you better have something intelligent to say. <laughs> yeah. 
I, now, bringing your vision to the screen, what's the trickiest part of having this very distinct vision and then now you're at a point where you really need to lean in on animators, other people to bring it to life. What, what, what was that like trying to collaborate with others and get everything visually, artistically out in exactly the way you had pictured it? Uh, it's not out exactly the way I pictured it, which is, which is, which is kind of awful for me to say, but it's not. We didn't have the time nor the budget. Now, the next versions of Kilopari, this will not be a problem, right? But, but that that's one thing. The second thing is, as long as you have um, a set of rules, right? And I keep I always talk about the sandbox. The sandbox that is Star Wars. Um, everybody knows what's in that sandbox, and everybody knows what's not. Everybody knows what's what's possible and where you can go, and everybody knows where you can't. You know, there are. There's no World War II. There is no superheroing. You know what I mean? There's no, no, like nobody flies in a Star Wars universe. You know what I mean? Like so, so if you if you're if you're creating a Star Wars universe, you know that, right? So the thing about Kilopart is no gunpowder. It's more Lord of the Rings with animals than it is anything else. And and if you have people that are ultra creative, they figure it out, right? So. Uh, I'm going through this process now and I'm looking or I'm talking with animators and producers and writers and type, type of thing. And I am more interested in their talent than their experience. Because if you have talent, I can teach you what to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you already know what to do, that doesn't mean you know what to do. It doesn't mean you're talented. You know, the, I, I tell people all the time, the best offensive line, one of the best offensive linemen I ever played against was Stephen Neal for the Patriots. And he didn't play college football. He was a college wrestler. And Bill Belichick saw him and said, I can teach you how to play football. I can't teach you to do what you do naturally. So that has always been my thing. If you're good, if you have passion, even about your own thing, um, and that thing shows me that 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 it's very important to you, then you can obviously you can work for me. You know what I mean? But if you're just jaded doing this for a job, I don't care how good you are, that's that I can't do. So that's that's what I, that's so that's how you want to that's how people wind up working on color party. Be great at be great at your own thing, like great at it, and then the rest of color party is easy. You know, what I mean, it's fun. People love it. The sand the sand is blue. <laughs> yeah, you you talk about people being great. I mean, some of the actors you have are real. You know, legends in the industry. I mean, Mark Hamill, uh, who I know most people know as Luke Skywalker, but has a very uh, distinct, uh, you know, uh, voice work background, and and famously played the Joker in the Batman animated series. You got guys like Keith David, who just bring such energy and passion to their roles. What was it like working with those Hollywood veterans, and and did they impart any lessons or or um, insights to you that 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 help have informed where you're taking the brand and the, and the product now? Uh, no, because what happens very quickly is you realize that they're, this is a job. This is, hmm. they, they do it almost like football players play football. This is my, this is my line of work. This is my livelihood. This is what I do. This I'm good at. They take one, these people take one take and they get it right. And in, in two hours they leave, you know I mean? Talk to them and that type of thing, but they're there to do a job and they can work with whoever. Cause like Wendy Malick was played Queen Jarrah, and her and Keith David were in the voice room together. And I don't know if they've ever worked together, but they sounded like they've been working together all their lives. <laughs> right. And I'm not, and I'm, and I'm, but this is the professionalism. Like Wendy came in and she knocked it out. She was there for three days, and then 
like two, three hours, two hours a day, bing, 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 gone. You know what I mean? And Mark had come from, in season one, he had come directly from the Force Awakens set one day, had the beard and the whole thing. And I was like, look, man, you got to tell me, are you the Sith or what? What's happening in that movie? He was like, no, my friend, I can't do that. He said, but he did bring the book to the, um, he did bring the book to the set. And I, I think J.J. Abrams, who I kind of know, by the way, J.J. Uh, Abrams said, hey, what's this you're working on? And he told him and that, you know, that was cool. So you gonna get a you gonna get a cameo in the in episode nine through JJ? Yeah, What's up? yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I bet I bet if I got over there, I could. I bet they put me in a stormtrooper suit or something. But no, 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 no thanks. How, you know, you 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 struck out and you and you you brought this to other mediums. You know, through through toys, uh, clothing. What is that like to to take a purely creative enterprise and to to bring it to life through these kind of other business opportunities without sacrificing the the sort of creative spirit integrity whatever you want to call it of of your of your artistic vision. The thing the thing that um, one of my partners, one of the guys that works for me, always imparts upon me that I'm you know when I'm out there trying to raise money or. This and the other, he said. He said, Trev, the, the thing you're missing when you're pitching Kalapari is you're not telling people how good it is. And 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 that's that. And again, it's the happy accidents that Kalapari kind of took itself. You know what I mean? Like the insignias. There was only a frog insignia, and then I was like, why don't I give everybody else an insignia? And now I, now I have a thing, and you know, there's a thing and a thing and a more things, and it looks like Avatar, and it looks like this and that and the other. Um, so those things were, they're great when they're happening, of course, but you look at them, you go, and like all the, all the toys sold out, all the Under Armour stuff sold out like very quickly. And you you just go, yeah, it's doing that because it's actually really cool looking. Um, the Under Armour stuff, especially t-shirts and hats and girls, tank tops and tights and whatever it, all of it you know you put that scorpion insignia on it it looks cool it looks and what they said it looks it looked very military to me it looked very sports um so that that works and that was again that was all an accident but when you see the, the skull the, the frog skeleton you go jesus christ you put that on a t-shirt it's gonna do great and you kind of know that to be a fact but then when it does do great you're like yeah that was cool but you kind of knew that's going like a frog skeleton on a t-shirt for little boys works. Yeah. It doesn't take a genius to figure that out. It works. A, a, a lizard skull on a t-shirt for boys works. And now you do it in a colorful way. And now you do it part of a cartoon that's on Netflix. That works. It works. It doesn't take it. That's not rocket science. You know what I mean? Now you put a picture of Flavor Flav on a t-shirt for boys. You might, uh, does that work? Not sure. But, you know, a, a, a lizard skull always works always works <laughs> what what's next for you with with cool apart you mentioned you, you know the sandbox is you you're full of ideas like where where do you want to take it are are you going back to netflix for yet another season uh, what what's on the immediate horizon i i can't tell anybody <laughs> there is there is something and it's going to when it's announced it's going to be like a mule kick here in a, here in a couple months <laughs> all <laughs> right <laughs> Fair it's going to be a guy. It's going to be a, a a dinosaur punting a soccer ball. Like it's going to be like that. <laughs> what um, 
I'll, I'll look forward to that uh, the same day they announce your your uh, your role as a Sith Lord in the new uh, episode nine as well. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> I, you know, I've, I've read a lot about just, you know, just, again, you at the epicenter of this entire project and having to juggle the business, you know, future of it. It feels like you wear so many different hats on this. Is there one particular piece of it that, um, you know, brings you the most joy? Is it, is it the, the creative process? Is it the, the sort of the art of the deal of it all? Or is it, is it the, the thing that you're building as a collective whole is the, is the joy that you get from it? Is, is, is taking your ideas and, and just seeing wherever else you can take it? That yeah, that's part of it. I do I do like that. It's like because given what we're doing next, is not supposed to be done. Um, so that's interesting and in trying to figure that out and trying to be the first one to do that kind of thing. Uh, but I also love when when somebody tells me they love Kalapari, right? Mm-hmm. So we have some T-shirts for sale on Amazon, and every time one is sold, I get such a rush because that one T-shirt you bought could have been a Marvel T-shirt. It could have been a Batman T-shirt. It could have been anything else, but you picked mine. So that's a thing to me. That that is that is a real thing. And I, you know, I get people on Twitter say my 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 daughter's like this girl. Um, her dad lives in Denver. She's like, she was like, he, he said my daughter's the biggest fan, not of Kulapari, but of Dingo, who is one of the girls in Kulapari, the, the archer in in Kulapari. So I sent her a Dingo T-shirt and books and all this stuff. And she was just over the moon about it. So that type of thing, I really love when some, when Kalapari becomes fandom for somebody else. And I will tell you this: the the second season that came out in November um, was the thirteenth most watched show on Netflix for about three days. Mm. So it's been it's been watched around the world. Like I'm sitting, I'm just a guy sitting in a basement. I created something that was on Netflix that's been watched millions of times around the world in different languages millions and i'm just i'm sitting on my bench with my feet up you know so uh that part that part i do i do kind of uh that's the part i enjoy the most and they're they're a little i mean they're they're very guarded about their metrics how much do they share about performance with the creators they don't share any but i got it from somebody else Ah. they share they they share none they're not going to share that that information with anybody no matter who you are um I mean, and and the funny thing is, what's what's going to be interesting is Netflix executives are never going to get fired because when they do, they walk out with all that intellectual data. Hmm. So they, they, it's it's going to be weird when they start firing people. The dam is on a break. Yeah, because I'm 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 going to try to hire one and be like, okay, now tell me the truth, and then I'll fire them and then go back to Netflix. <laughs> well, hey, the, the other thing I noticed you were doing a lot this year was, you know, I saw you do the the podcast with Rome and 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 you were you were you know kind of venturing into media what are your hopes for you know uh, you know beyond this part of, of of what you're doing creatively I, I, is that something you want to be steering more into in terms of analysis media work um a, a, a little bit i like because i like talking about sports when i told Rome is my uh, my kids especially my oldest daughter actually all three of them like when i see watch stuff on tv i thought kind of like yell at them and explain to them what's going on and they were like look you need to find an outlet old man <laughs> I was like, yeah i do so that's kind of why so I, I love talking about sports the funny thing is the less i've done it the better i've gotten at it mm-hmm. so when i first retired you have when you first retire you have your choice of things and you just kind of don't know what that job was like i didn't know what a football analyst really did so i would try out the, i would try out for cbs and they would go 
the, the guy would do the highlights and I, I just sit there and be like, yeah, whatever. You know what I mean? So you, I've like, I'd be really good at it now. Like Tony Romo good because, because as you step away from the game, you become a fan of the game, but because you're a fan with more knowledge than a regular fan, so you can explain, you're the bridge. That's why he's so good. He's a bridge between expertise and fandom, right? And that's that's what I, for offense, I'm the same for defense. Like, I, I understand it before it's happening. As, a, as they line up, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is what's going to happen. Um, for some reason, and when I played, I wasn't like that. So... Um, I don't know yet. Um, we're moving to LA uh, in the summertime, so I don't know. I I, I think I might try to do a little more, not a lot more, because that, that, that you know you cannot do both at a full hundred percent level, um, sports and entertainment. It really is impossible. But um, a little bit here and there, no problem doing it. When you're when you're sitting around with friends, are you? primarily talking football or are you someone that's like no i'm i'm chatting chatting people up on nba trades on you know baseball hot stove like just where where do your interests lie in terms of what you like talking about when, when you're in a, in a social circle anything that would get, make me laugh I, I don't <laughs> you know i don't i don't dig talking about football that much but if somebody really wants to talk if somebody really wants to um uh talk about it then, then yeah, I'll, I'll engage people. You know what I mean? Because, and and where I live, you know, they, hey, you should come back to the Ravens. I hear that all the time, and I'm like, are you crazy? You know what I mean? Um, so I don't mind that. What I don't get to talk about a lot is pop culture. I don't get to talk about. Well, my friends, uh, my next door neighbor played professional basketball. The guy that lives across the street from me, and we talk about basketball and you know the guy stuff. We sit on drink beer and. Talk about golf and basketball and whatnot, but if you're kind of like me or him and you played at a high level and you kind of know more than most people, those conversations can get really weird because you're talking about it from a different perspective. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't really work. So you wind up either dumbing your conversation, what you want to say down a little bit, or you find yourself saying the same thing over and over again until everybody understands it and they get bored. <laughs> well, what to end here? Then, what what pop culture recommendations would you make for our listeners? Like, what are you binge watching? What are you checking out that that that's resonating? Um, you know, funny enough, uh, I don't like most creators. I don't watch a lot of TV. <laughs> I watch I watch Tennis Channel and I watch NBA basketball and I watch football. That is it. Because if you're watching, you're not writing. You know what I mean? So yeah. I don't, I don't watch a lot of, te- I don't watch a lot of television. Um, I have a 12 year old son. I let him watch all the television for me, but funny enough, he doesn't watch a lot of television. You know what I mean? He plays games, so he can't watch and play at the same time. So he, he usually, so he, like, he took me to see Dragon Ball Broly. Uh, we went and saw Spider-Man. So we go see the movies. The yeah. TV does not get, does not get much in our home, to be honest. So I would say, uh, get on tennis channel. <laughs> get some of these, get some of these serves and these forehands. Um, the TNT basketball that Lakers game last night was pretty phenomenal. Oh yeah, um, that that's that's kind of what I watch. I watch sports. Uh, Lavar Ball, big time. Love that. <laughs> Love all that. <laughs> all of it. Um, don't watch any TV, man. And 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 then you know at night prime time, I at nighttime I'll watch Family Guy reruns and things like that before I'm going to sleep. But and Jimmy Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. But, you know, at a random Wednesday, 8 o'clock, I look at, like, 
what's on? I'm like, Jesus Christ, this shit is terrible. <laughs> well, you've been so generous with your time. I'll, I'll let you go. Thank you for breaking it all down. I mean, I'm excited about the project. Um, I'm excited for the huge announcement and the Star Wars cameo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's start that rumor. Trevor Price is a Star Wars. Let's do it. <laughs> I will. I'll do everything I can to get that uh, in front of JJ. And we are back in the sports world. Athletes, coaches, they all do interesting things uh, that define who they are, that stretch the, the boundaries of who they hope to be as a person. And then we, the fans, tell them, stop being interesting. You're being a distraction to the team. That's ridiculous. So on this show, I always try to end by celebrating the locker room distractions of the sports world by telling you what's been distracting me this week. All right, I can't remember if I talked about this late last season or not, but I'm currently reading a book called Bad Blood. So the fact that I am already not knowing if I brought this up a, a month or so ago does not bode well for how fast I'm finishing this book, but it is very good. It's by John Carreyrou, the acclaimed reporter, and it's really just about the secrets and lies of Theranos, which was a celebrated Silicon Valley startup run by this woman, this college dropout from Stanford named Elizabeth Holmes, and you know she and they were going to revolutionize blood testing and the ways that we give blood and the types of tests that we can deliver in your own home or at a Walgreens down the street versus going to a lab. Super fascinating. Also been listening to this podcast, I think by ABC News, called The Dropout, which is also about this case. And oh my God, it is just unbelievable the amount of lies and deceptions that uh, you know these reporters uncover. It is unreal. But even beyond that, because I recommend checking both those things out, and even if you just listen to the podcast, the book is really great and goes into a lot more specific detail, and so I, do, I don't think they're just an, a zero-sum game there. But I have become a full-on Elizabeth Holmes voice truther, <laughs> okay? Because she has this really, really interesting, distinct baritone voice that when you hear it, Coming out of um, her, you know, she, you know, she just has a a voice that doesn't quite match our expectations, and and once you hear it, it just really sticks in your head. You know, here's this uh, this low, powerful voice that's that's very much unlike a lot of other voices that I've ever heard. Medical school to give her a chance to answer the charges raised in the article. Ms. Holmes, welcome back to Mad Money. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth. I have to tell you, in all my years, I can't recall a private company that I have to candidly many have never heard of getting this kind of attention and scrutiny. What do you think is going on here? This is what happens when you work to change things. And first they think you're crazy, then they fight you, and then all of a sudden you change the world. And um, I have to say, I, I, I personally was shocked to see that the journal would publish something like this when we had sent them over a thousand pages of documentation demonstrating that the statements in their piece were false. And when all the lies started to come out and people started to ask themselves, man, is she kind of a just a sociopath? 
then the speculation started. Did she also fake her voice? And man, I really want to believe that she did. Because <laughs> number one, that's Cray. That is crazy. The, not, not that she had to do it, because I think there's been a lot of uh, talk, and I know it's in the Carrie Rue book, about you know just the prejudices that a lot of um, women in business face overall, and especially in Silicon Valley, where you're meeting with these high-powered VCs. And there is some data to support that women with a lower registered voice are seen differently. It's certainly wrongly, but um, the reality is they sometimes are seen as more authoritative figures by some of these folks. So I, I understand the incentive to try and do that if you believe that and you and you've noticed a difference in re, in response during these the venture capitalist you know sales pitches you're doing. Then like fine. What I'm really fascinated by is just the effort you have to do to do that. And I say this from not experience at all, but you know turning on a mic and doing this show is a much much different experience for with my voice than if I'm just like sort of talking now. I sound just like this, but you know, and you're just kind of talking with your with your wife or my daughters. I might, you know, I might just more be mumbling, like, you know, just kind of mumbling like this, or hey, you know, honey, can you do that? You know, whatever. And you know, you put a mic in front of you, try to be louder, you try to project so people can hear you, you try to talk clearly, but it takes thought, you know, it, it just to prevent your voice from cracking or popping, <laughs> or uh, you know, like right now, like my sinuses are flaring up and it sounds weird. You catch yourself, like it takes effort and to imagine this really famous person in all these high profile settings faking her voice and then going into the office and faking her voice and then you get these little glimpses of people saying yeah like one time she had too many drinks at the company party and she just started talking and it was like a different voice (laughs) and you're like what and there's one youtube clip i'm gonna try and play some clips I'll see if I can pull them down, but there's one podcast that like she kind of broke and like did the voice. So let's see if I can play that right now. What you've been doing? No, it hasn't. Well, if I use traditional words to describe what we're doing, it's hard because people then associate it with conventional processes. I mean, that's crazy. Imagine getting up every morning and being like, I have to change my voice. And I'm so I'm so fascinated because I think that is the type of Patrick Bateman, American Psycho level shit that separates the average like fraudster from the you know super fraud, <laughs> or to 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 steer toward another Christian Bale movie like in the Prestige, where you know the the bad magician is like like playing a part his whole life. Um, okay, well they're they're all bad magicians, but <laughs> I don't know if anyone's a true hero in that. But just playing a part their whole life and trying to, um, you know, trying to uh, put that on under extraordinary circumstances is just fascinating to me. Um, and there's a Jennifer Lawrence movie coming out, and I hope that that one goes into more depth about, you know, was is that the popular conception? And is J-Law going to have to rock a fake voice for that entire time? Uh, it's super fascinating, man. So I'm full on the Elizabeth Holmes truther bandwagon. Uh, please, if you've got confirmed footage of this, feel free to send it to my uh, send it my way. Um, and look, I'm not trying to be cavalier. I think this is very serious. Like what they were doing was medical, you know, alleged fraud 
that was potentially ruining or, or troubling a lot of people's lives, which is why I can be, why I'm just kind of ho-humming this whole thing in terms of like, you know, uh, not taking her too seriously in terms of how much I'm putting stock into how she's positioning her role in all this. And I can't take it seriously when people saying you're faking your voice. Okay. I mean, come on. Anyway, that is the show for this week. I want to end with some shout outs. Let's shout out the Elizabeth Holmes real voice, wherever you are. Let's shout out Trevor Price, Netflix, Kulapari. It's on there. Go check it out. I've played a few episodes with my daughter here and there. She likes the action, loves the, uh, loves the animation. And I, you know, I just like seeing an athlete going out there with a creative vision putting themselves out there, doing really great stuff. I think it's awesome. And I'm excited to be back for another season. Thank you to everybody who hung with last season, the solo venture. It was a lot of fun to do. You know, I kind of had this crossroads when Gareth and Adam and I were kind of like to talking about whether we wanted to continue the show and um, did it really fit into our own lifestyle. I kind of asked myself, like, do I still want to do this? And I just really appreciate all the response from people saying, yeah, you know, like when you get them out, we'll take a listen so I appreciate that. Um, it's a little bit more of a labor of love to do all myself, but I just, you know, I love conversations like this, talking to people. And we've got some really good ones coming up. Some people that I've long wanted to talk about, some topics I've really wanted to kind of personally break down. Mad Men, Tori Amos. Yeah, where my Tori Amos head's at. <laughs> all right, anyway, so that is the show. Thanks for being back. Stay tuned for more and... In the immortal words of rapper Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers, stay booty.